On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Do me a favor, say, where can I park my car? I am not saying that because that is, (laughs) nobody says that. And here's another thing, too. And here's another thing, too. Nobody calls Boston Bean Town. The only people that do that are the oh, people that are not from there. Tell it to the Wahlbergs, asshole. That's where oh, I fucking heard it from. Fuck those guys. Yeah, fuck, yeah, those I'm guys are fucking clowns. I'm talking, hey, Tom Gelati, that, did I pronounce the name right? You did. Wow, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, pr- I probably should have warned you I was going to get into this, but after you, your partner Zeus was on the program, I had more than, well, I, at least three people ask me if you two were gay. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, based only on comments that he made in the, on that show. Oh, well, look, I'm I'm just going to refer to I'm just going to refer to Seinfeld and just say not that there's anything wrong with that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we shared a lot of time together in college, but we didn't share that kind of time together in college. I think a couple times uh he referred to you as as his partner and that probably went through people off, but Yeah, no, show partner, podcast partner, friend when the mics are not on, I guess put it that way. Uh, okay. I mean, that's it never dawned on me until uh, someone asked and then another person asked. I'm like, so then I went back and actually listened to it. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe yeah. cuz I'm like, you know, I'm like, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I had no idea, you know. I No, no, I my wife doesn't think we are so I, I hope you know i hope i hope we're good with that but that's that's good though i, I have the opposite problem my wife is convinced i'm gay oh uh, but nice yeah real nice tom you are the co-host of the shout it out loud cast we had your partner uh not in love but in life uh zeus uh back a few episodes ago to talk about the stone temple pilots record purple uh you're on today we're going to get into rolling stones coming at number 17 is the screaming trees Sweet Oblivion. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about uh, what's going on over there at the Shout Out Loudcast. So Shout Out Loudcast, we are uh, an all-kiss podcast. Uh, We release new episodes on Saturday, um, and at the beginning of this year in January... Just real quick, uh, finally there's a kiss podcast out there. uh, It's true, because we said, you know, there really are no kiss podcasts out there. (laughs) We have to fill that void. Good point. Uh, But no, but we come from the angle of, we're lifelong kiss fans, but we're also, we're not serious. If If you haven't checked us out, check us out. We're not very serious at all in any way. 
we love the band, but we have plenty of t- plenty of good times shitting on the band, shitting on the members, the history, some of their music. Uh, but we are huge fans. We're diehards. We've seen them a, a million times with all different lineups. Um, but we're, uh, we're, we're big fans of making fun of them. Um, our, you know, some recent episodes, we've had a lot of fun with, uh, what we refer to as pandemic Paul, um, because, uh, (laughs) since, since he's not touring, he's trying to find himself, uh, trying to keep himself busy with just utter silliness on social media. So things like that, we do that. But, uh, like I was saying at the beginning of this year in January, we started to veer off a little bit and do what we call monthly bonus episodes where we bring in our friend, Sonny Hollywood Pooney. And uh, we do album reviews of uh, non-Kiss records. Uh, we kind of rotate picking albums uh, that we like. We, you know, we've done things like Appetite for Destruction, Slide It In, Pyromania, uh, Super Unknown by Soundgarden, um, Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind, things like that. So we all we love Kiss, but we love all different kinds of music. So that kind of gave us an outlet to uh, expand what we talk about. Kiss is a lot of fun to talk about, but it, if you're going to do a weekly show, it can be a bit. Uh I don't know. It can be a bit much just trying to keep keep it fresh and all that stuff. But uh, you are probably, I don't know, I, I listen to the Kiss Room a lot, but that's more of a celebration of, of Kiss just in general. Um, your show is, is probably my favorite Kiss podcast. It's more in a podcast format. Um, Matt Porter, of course, does like a monthly radio show that he it also goes out in kind of a, you know, you can downloadable fashion, you know. Yep. Um, but uh, the, the Kiss Room, of course, I'm talking about. But those are really the only two that I check out on a regular basis. Beyond that, it kind of depends on the topic. I did like uh, Ken Mills and Julian Gill uh, and Gary Schaller did that uh, kind of two part series on Wicked Lester, which uh, was I thought it was fascinating. And you know, and and I'm a guy who who's researched this this stuff enough to know a lot of what's going on and what they're talking about and the fact that they dropped a lot of facts I'd never heard and it was a lot of fun but uh, for the most part I've read so many goddamn kiss books I've seen so many movies documentaries whatever uh, that there isn't too much out there information wise that I'm yearning for but so I like more of the the banter and having fun that you guys offer yeah and like we like Zeus and I joke about you know when you listen to us you're probably not going to learn a lot um, <laughs> if, if, if you want to learn about kiss, you know, maybe go somewhere else. Um, but seriously, we, you know, we, we, we try to mix it up. Like you said, it can be tough doing things every week, but you know, we do things like top 10. We, we, we make up our, you know, our pretend uh, live albums. We do uh, different kind of kiss drafts. We do, uh, album, you know, studio album reviews, compilation reviews. So we try to keep it fresh. We try to keep it fun because it, it is a kiss podcast, but it's, we try to make it fun and entertaining, under the guise of uh, the topic of kiss. Yeah, I think you guys do a great job. You know that though. I've, Thank I, you. I, I kiss Thank your you. ass all the time on social media, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> well, when I first thought about or basically made the announcement in, in a podcast group that we're in that, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is anybody interested in, in joining me on this kind of grunge uh, uh, celebration? You were one of the very first people. Not only did you, did you say it, but it was almost like a three word thing. It's like, yes, yeah, sweet oblivion. Did I read that right? That you're, this is an album that you're very passionate about. This is a va- an album that I am, extremely passionate about the, the the term that people like to use desert island disc this is absolutely a desert island disc for me very passionate about this album very passionate about this this genre you know and i was glad to be able to be on this because i really don't think there'd be another outlet for me to talk about this album it certainly probably wouldn't come up in our bonus episodes on shout it out loudcast um so to be able to have an opportunity to talk about this album and kind of explain my passion for it 
you know, it's I'm, I'm excited. And that's why I jumped right on it when you posted this. I hadn't heard this record in full probably since around the time it came out. You know, I, and it would have been probably like in a party setting or getting together with friends or something like that. So I had never in my life sat down and actually just dissected it like I had this last week. Let's talk a little bit about where you were at in like 91, 92 when grunge kind of started. As we already know that you're a lifelong Kiss fan, this is a, a bit of a a shift away from a lot of that kind of music. What were you listening to like before Nirvana kind of blew up? And then how quickly did you grasp onto grunge? This was like the perfect storm. So I graduated high school in 91 and that summer Pearl Jam 10 was released. Mm -hmm. And then that fall of 91 is when I started college, um, met Zeus. Um, and for anybody that listens to our show, our occasional, uh, co-host, uh, my buddy Murph, who was my college roommate, so when before grunge kind of took the world over, we were still listening to, um, you know, Metallica hair metal was still hanging around guns and roses, kind of like that late eighties, early nineties, where music, you know, you were kind of getting that tail end of hair metal that was kind of garbage, but you still had bands, you know, like, like bands like Tesla that was still putting out some good records. Um, so we will listen to that. And then you, you get into, then you hear about, Oh, Pearl jam. What, what is this Pearl jam? You hear Jeremy on the radio. You know, I get the CD back in the day, kids, when people had CDs. <laughs> um, so you, you get, you get the Pearl jam CD and that came out in August. And again, so I, we move into college as freshmen and that was literally the only thing that you heard that entire year. And, you know, and then it was just on album on top of album. I had heard, nevermind. Uh, you know, I had heard, heard Nirvana, uh, but the Pearl Jam album just blew up and then Stone Temple Pilots core. And then it was just like a tidal wave. And that's pretty much everything we listened to pretty much all through college. It's kind of like the soundtrack of, of our college years, mm -hmm. which is kind of why Screaming Trees kind of is that sweet spot for me, because it, it, it that encapsulated that this album. And then the fact that we were exposed to Screaming Trees through the single soundtrack, which is also on this on this uh, Rolling Stone ranking. In a single soundtrack, we still talk about it now. That's pretty much our college soundtrack. We got that when it came out in 92, listened to it incessantly because it was pretty much a grunge greatest hits album. Had, you know, unreleased tracks from Pearl Jam. It had a song from Screaming Trees. It had just great stuff on it. Um, so grunge kind of took over the world. Um, Kiss had released, you know, Revenge during that mm -hmm. era. I was a huge fan of Revenge at that time. Huge fan of Metallica was putting out records. From the mid to late 90s, it was pretty much all grunge and then alternative rock is kind of those bands kind of veered off and you started getting some of the, you know, some of the girl bands, you know, bands belly. like Belly and hey. Belly. Love Belly. My, my buddy Murph and I, we've seen Belly in concert a couple of times. So bands like Belly, you know, Throwing Muses, Juliana Hatfield 3, like bands like that. So the grunge and alternative kind of really took over for us, um, especially for me. And then the late 90s, 2000s, you know, right around the time, you know, getting married and all that stuff. That's when I started to kind of revisit and kind of pick the albums that I want to kind of hang on to. Because it, it, around 2000, it was like, all right, nothing really good is coming out anymore. I know people don't like to hear that, but... You know, like Zeus and I always joke about, you know, our, our the, the, we don't li really listen to new music that much. Um, so I find myself coming back to a lot of things in my catalog. And Screaming Trees is an album that I come back to all the time. Like, I listen to it repeatedly. Well, let's get into that a little bit. It was released on September 8th, 1992. Um, it was, it comes in at a whopping 46 minutes and 13 seconds for 11 tracks. That's solid. And produced by Don Fleming. 
I didn't, like I said, you know, just a few minutes ago, I didn't really get a chance to digest this record until recently, and it is kind of a forgotten gem. I touched on it on the singles episode. I almost think they were hurt by their song being a hit and on that soundtrack. You know, what do you think of that album cover before we get into the, the track listing here? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, doing some research for this um for this episode. So I have, I, I don't know if you or I'm sure your listeners are some of the vinyl geeks, you know, with the resurgence of vinyl. Mm-hmm. So uh, pretty much my, all my favorite albums I have on vinyl, Screaming Tree, Sweet Oblivion is one of them. So I have, I have a nice giant picture of the album cover. Um, and it is a pretty ridiculous album cover. <laughs> the, the back album cover pretty much shows you why they're on the back, because as my uh, co-host Zeus would say, they are not a bunch of handsome men. No. Um, and, uh... you know, the, the Connor brothers look like a couple of giant lumberjacks. Um, Barrett Martin looks like, you know, he'd be like a late night talk show host. And Mark Lanigan looks like a guy who works at like the local carnival. So, you know, they're, they're not kind of the guys that would make a cover. But the cover of this um, is, you know, it's like the control panel of like an old ship. That's what it looks like. It's like right. the rusted, the, the rusted control panel of an old ship. I guess that's what I found out in my research. And then in one of the little control portholes or whatever, you have a picture of the band kind of staring up at you. And then over to the right, it says "Sweet Oblivion," kind of like in the kind of where, like maybe you'd see like a caution sign or something on a control panel. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a lame album cover. But you know, a lot of these grunge guys they didn't really know what they were doing with album covers. You know, unless you're you know Kurt Cobain or Alice in Chains for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but they go back quite a ways. What? What? Where does this come in in their discography? Is it like third or fourth? This is in inter- Well, this is their first major label release, I believe, if I'm correct. Oh, with yeah, Epic. that comes in at six. I'm looking at the list now. Yeah. Well, that that that's the thing about them. They they were around in the 80s. Yeah. Um. And 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 you know they st- they were putting records out and people were kind of getting kind of hip to their sound. Their previous drummer Mark Pick- Mark Pickrell before Barrett Martin took over. They were very garage rocky, uh, you know, garage mm-hmm. rock, you know, psychedelic 70s classic rock. And we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. When you look at this list, the term grunge really casts a wide net. Mm-hmm. And I think and I think that was a, a marketing thing so that they could sell these bands to radio stations or to record labels like, oh, this is a new grunge band because Screaming Trees. Yes, they're grungy. But Screaming Trees doesn't sound like Alice in Chains. They don't sound like Pearl Jam. They don't sound like, you know, early Soundgarden. They don't sound like the Melvins. You know, they're their own thing. Mm-hmm. But they fall they fall into that grunge thing. And when they kind of were putting their records together, you know, Uncle Anesthesia, the album before this, which was a great, a great, very underrated album. I don't think it made this list. Um, but the record label didn't know what to do with them. I mean, that album, Uncle Anesthesia, before Sweet Oblivion, that was co-produced by Chris Cornell from Soundgarden. Hmm. But it was also co-produced by a guy by the name of Terry Tate, who produced albums by Overkill and Pantera. Okay. So that, Terry so that right there. Yes. I'm, yes. Terry Dame. So, yeah. So that shows you that. And even the record label was kind of putting Screaming Trees in like a metal genre because because at the time they're like, we don't know what to do with these guys. Mm-hmm. And that kind of hurt them. They kind of ended up picking up with uh, with Epic signing on and recording Sweet Oblivion and their record label even told them this is make or break. You guys need to put together an album that's going to kick ass and sell or this might be the end of you guys. Unfortunately, it, they put out another album after Sweet Oblivion, which was called Dust. 
And that was actually named the album of the year by Kerrang magazine, mm. which is weird because Kerrang really doesn't cover a band like Screaming Tree. So their career is all over the place. And yeah. I think they and I think they suffer sometimes maybe from record label management production, you know, producers, because you look at, the, at an album like this, they could have easily been a huge band like Pearl Jam, like Alice in Chains, like Soundgod. They could have. They have what they have the ingredients. And I think it just a lot of bands you see, they just can't succeed, whether it's their own fault or whether they're, it's the management fault. Hmm. Uh, Barrett Martin officially de- uh, declined to be interviewed for this uh, this episode. <laughs> oh, wow. OK. Yeah, he said okay. he didn't want to talk about Mad Season or Screaming Trees. So really? Mm-hmm. Well, ba- yeah, because I was going to say and Barrett Martin, drummer for uh, with uh, with Screaming Trees and Barrett Martin also uh, came from Skinyard. Uh, another early grunge band too mm-hmm. so Featuring you know jack and dino who produced a couple of the records uh, early it, records it, of Screaming exactly Dreams. you start to hear a lot of these same names in the early ages of the grunge era um and it's funny too because screaming trees these guys aren't even from seattle they're 100 miles away from from seattle in another in a completely other part of washington but like i said earlier if you can call somebody grunge Mm-hmm. And that's the flavor of the month. It's going to help sell kind of like all those bands that got wrapped up with the hair metal term, like, oh, this yeah. is a new hair metal band. So I think they just suffered from maybe it was bad management, bad you know, record label, didn't know what to do. It was a confusing time. And I think they came out at a bad time, too. I think they came out riding, the, you know, Nirvana was huge. Pearl Jam was huge. And they're like, oh, here's another band. Yeah, um, which 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 is unfortunate for them. It's almost like um, Stone Temple took their place. You know, yeah, like, we can have abs- five. Yep. Not six. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, it definitely isn't the music. Um, and I guess let's start getting into that. Uh, the album opens up with a song called Shadow of the Season. From the unbelievable killer opener for me um starts off very moody um you have that kind of tribal drum beat you have that grinding guitar sound kind of that droning sound get a little psychedelic there then the drums kick in and then you're introduced to mark lanigan's voice Mm, which is just spectacular i mean his voice is just amazing and one thing you i'm gonna probably say it a lot throughout this album one of the things that sticks out to me ever since I was a little kid, I've been obsessed with drums and drumming in general. Um, Barrett Martin on this album is such a standout for me. And this song kind of shows that for me. He, he, he's not your typical, you know, drummer where it's, you know, kick drum, snare, kick drum, snare. He fills a lot of that space with some extra kick drums and, it's not overpowering. It's not overbearing. It's not distracting. I think it really adds to the mood of the music. And it, and this song here has that. Um, for me, it, it, it's a killer opener. Um, they used to open up their concerts with this, which is a great way to do that. Um, so for me, I'm going to give this uh, five sleeveless flannel shirts. Hmm, nice. All right. Uh, I uh, th- This is a great – first of all, it's a great album opener. One of the things um, up to this point that's kind of stuck out – 
is the lack of attention some of these bands seem to pay uh, to uh, sequencing. Uh, this record, by the third track, it's clear that there is some effort to actually d- develop and, and build an album with a beginning and an end, that kind of deal. Uh, but the, So with that said, this is a great opener. The chorus, I don't know if you even call it a chorus, but I love the way he delivers that line. Um, said, Lord, give me what I need. Um, I'm still, yeah, and then, by the way, Mark, you can't say enough about Lanigan as a singer. Just that, that oh. smoky, I, I assume it's a baritone. But Jesus, I mean, what a voice. And that, that unique sound alone, it, to me, I was a big calling card for grunge and that might have been the last musical movement where bands almost instantly were identifiable by their own sound you know it it seemed like as we got more computerized in our recording process and then more homogenized in like what radio was going to deem acceptable to put on it you kind of got this kind of you turned into a blender where it's now like a, if we're talking hard rock, it's a combination of Nickelback, Godsmack, and Disturbed. They just kind of blend <laughs> all that up, and then yep. here's the newest version of that. Um, yep. Topically, uh, is this about drugs? <laughs> that's that's a runaway theme I, with uh, these grunge bands. I, I don't I don't know because you know they got the title of the album from this where they talk about you know oh sweet oblivion mm-hmm. you know it, uh, sweet oblivion feels all right so. Barrett Martin was talking about, you know, they were in such, they were on such a high, you know, not drug wise, but, mm-hmm. you know, getting ready to produce the album that was going to hopefully save their career. Um, I, Mark Lanigan has, you know, you know, noted, uh, you know, drug problems, um, you know, so it, it could just be a story about, you know, you know, out from the lighthouse, out on the ocean, can't climb the mountain. So very tall it could just be a general song about struggling or trying to find mm-hmm. your way and, and succeeding. I said, Lord, please, Lord, please give me what I need. Said there's pain and misery. Mm-hmm. You know, he is pouring out his soul and you're going to hear that a lot in this album and his voice makes you believe and feel what he's saying. I don't think there's anything contrived about anything that's coming out of Lanigan's mouth on this entire album. I don't think it's pretend. I don't think he's doing it to sell a record. I think he legitimately believes what he is singing and that that passion and that voice that comes out. And like you said, too, this that I was going to comment, too, but you beat me to it on the track listing. We've talked about this before on when we do album reviews. Track listings can can kill an album mm-hmm. or they can really make an album flow. And I think this track listing is 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 spectacular. And we'll talk we'll talk about that too, the order of them. This song's about drugs. <laughs> You're probably right. I mean it's grunge. Everything was about drugs. Yeah, I I don't think there's anything uh uh contrived about uh the, the lyrics or or the delivery at all either. It seems very it seems too authentic, you know what I mean? Yep. Um well the next track is is slotted perfectly in a in a perfectly sequenced album is nearly lost you. Oh, 
This is the fucking perfect song. Two two episodes back, we did singles, so I got into it there. So I'll I'll keep my thoughts short and kind of turn it over to you. But yeah, I, I think I, I mentioned it just a little while ago. It might have been off mic, but I, I think the album actually got hurt by its appearance. This album probably sold less because this song was on that that soundtrack and if you're if you're you know if you're someone like me who had minimum you know limited funds to spend on this stuff you were in college you probably weren't buying every cd that came out if i have to choose this has pearl jams new stuff a new alice in chains song that i love some soundgarden plus i get this killer song by a band that i otherwise don't know I'm going to probably lean towards that, and I think this might have actually hurt this record as opposed to had they just released it just for this album. That's an interesting theory that you have on the song because I think what happened with me in Screaming Trees, I kind of kind of have the the exact opposite. So I had never heard anything by the Screaming Trees until we kind of just you know buried ourselves in the single soundtrack in college. <clears throat> Excuse me, and Nearly Lost You was just a standout track, and like mm-hmm. you said, I have I have written down here too maybe the most perfect song of that era <laughs> maybe the most perfectly written grunge song the song oh, yeah. should have been an absolute monster of a song but because i love that song so much on the single soundtrack that actually made me go out and seek sweet oblivion okay so when we were in when we were in college we, we went to college uh down in uh, like southern mass and we would on the weekends we would take uh trips into downtown boston and we would find these uh, used CD places where they would have, you know, a lot of used stuff, a lot of stuff from, uh, you know, record labels, you know, reject things or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, producer versions or whatever. And I remember picking up uh, Sweet Oblivion and we listened to it on the ride home. It was probably about a 35 minute ride home to back to college. And everyone was like, holy fuck, this band is not just nearly lost you. L- listen to this whole album. We just we just couldn't believe that we didn't that we didn't know anything about this band because the album was so spectacular, um, and and this song is just amazing. And there's a little bit of a funny story behind this too. So Van Connor, Gary Lee's brother, and Mark Lanigan were on a road trip, and apparently Mark was like on some kind of acid trip during it. <laughs> so people people like, well, is the song really about what people think it's about? You know, where I nearly lost you, and you know, I nearly lost you. It's taken us somewhere. I nearly lost you there. Let's try to sleep now. Maybe it is about an acid trip. Who knows? Yeah. Um, But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. But again, just Mark's voice, just spectacular. And the guitar, like for me, Mark Lanigan and Barrett Martin stand out here, but you can't sleep on the guitars. It's just such an interesting sound. There's really no like riffs quote unquote it's just like these chordal patterns and these changes that they're doing and a, a lot of like noisy guitar sounds and it's just it's just spectacular and i think this song is just so great if you could if i could give it six sleeveless flannels i would but i'll stick with five okay well you're allowed um as <laughs> uh, as i've done in previous episodes yeah this is uh this is eight sleeveless flannels for me um <laughs> I, I i i this song every time I mean, I hadn't heard it in so long, and it, you know, probably within uh, two notes of it, I'm like, just already like, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things that just takes you back, and you know, which is the great thing about music in general. But yeah, this this is a killer tune. It's it's a perfect five. So yep, absolutely. Well, up next is Dollar Bill. Should hurt 
Another song that was kind of a mild hit, and it's uh, it's a different tone, obviously, from Nearly Lost You, which is kind of like an upbeat song. This was a single then? I, I don't recall I, this tune at all. I, I don't know if it was actually released as an actual single, but I know that after Nearly Lost You became very popular mm-hmm. that I started hearing this a, a, a little bit on alternative rock radio, so it must have been released as a single. Either that or the, the radio started doing yeah. what they want. I don't know. Uh, but I started hearing this a lot, um, and I like how they changed it up with going with nearly lost you which is a upbeat kind of rocker and then you got this real melancholy sad emotional song and you again you can hear the the, the pain in mark's voice and it, it almost reminds you of something it almost gives you a vibe a grungy vibe of like you can't always get what you want by the rolling stones oh, i like that especially in the chorus you kind of you kind of feel that from him um and it's it's almost like he's singing about he feels bad that he's going to hurt someone and he doesn't want to do it, but he yeah. has no choice. He he has to do what he needs to do and he's going to end up hurting somebody. He just doesn't want to do it. What's and that it's line? Kinda, I was trying to make it easy on you or something like that. Trying to make it. Yeah. Trying to make it easy on you. Yeah. Try to make it better. Make it easier on you. It's all I came to do. There's so much soul when he yep. sings that line, man. It, it There really is. Yeah. It's just a, a, a great song. Um, you, You're going to hear a lot of this from me, but I, I give this one another another five. Okay. Um, lyrically, I think it's about breaking up with a stripper. Um, no. <laughs> that's where the dollar bill comes in. Yeah. <laughs> Either that or maybe he ran out of dollar bills. And he's just saying, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you. I just don't have any more. <laughs> he's got to leave Sniffer's Row because his drink is empty and he's out of ones. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this song, uh, you, you summed it up perfectly. It's a great track. Three and a half rip flannels for me. Or sleeveless flannels. Plus, before we move on, anytime you can throw a line in here like "Goodbye, Mama," I've taken this too far, and he pulls off the "Mama." Oh yeah, you know, you know, he he pulls that off great. But uh, yeah, good good tune for me for sure. All right. Well, up next is uh, more or less. Yeah. Hey. 
one of the things that, that I took out of this, and it's a very grunge or alternative thing, is to take something like a title like More or Less, you know, and, and it means absolutely nothing. You know, it's like it's almost a misdirection by as a title. You know, uh, I didn't research other examples, but they're out there. This is my first four on the album. And mm. for an album that's full of standouts, this is still a good song. But um, this is when you get really, really slow and really dark and very, very, you know, painful. To, I mean, Dollar Bill had that, but at least the chorus kind of lifted you up a little yeah. bit. This song really doesn't go there. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, the entire song is kind of very somber. Um, the standout thing for me on this are the, are the, 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 the guitar tones. Um, you know, some of those screeching and wailing tones that they're using on this are just a, a standout. Um, and Mark's voice, again, we're going to keep saying it, he can just make any song sound great. Um, but th- th- this is this is a painful song um, for, you know, now that we've run this road so many times tonight, it will not take us home. Yeah. You know, that, that, that when, when, when a song starts off like that, drugs, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, but it, it's the screaming trees and it's uh, it's a song that I like. It's it's on this album and I like it, but I, I'll, I'll give it my first four. Do you have um, the lyric in front of you that uh, where that line more or less is used? Yes, I do. It is. Uh, yeah, he says feels like there's nothing to explain, nothing left to hear. One more or less, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. Now that it's feeling so much colder, coming back again, just be glad that it's all over. And the phrase more or less is a pretty common term, which yep. does not mean anything close to what he's saying there. So, you know, it's clever wordplay, you know. Come yep. From, you know, uh, come from Minnesota, we got it. Paul Westerberg is cl- classic at that. And then you got, of oh. course, Kurt Cobain was one of the best at that, too. But uh, that came in. We're, we're, we're on the same path up and down, but I'm a little lower than you. Uh, a two and a half. This song I really didn't care for that much. Uh, for pretty much the reason you said, it just kind of slugs and slows down. This is probably the only song on the record that I would skip if I went back, you know, going back to listen to it again. Yeah, if I had to skip a song on this album, which I would not, then uh, this would. <laughs> but, but, but this would this would probably be it. I agree with you. Yeah, so it's, okay. it's a little it's a little much. Well, uh, nice turnaround on track five though. Butterfly, one of my favorites on here. So they they bring you down with dollar bill and more or less, and they pick you right back up with butterfly. Um, upbeat, great chorus. Um, it could could have been a hit. You know, when when, when you look at when you look when when you look at an album like Nevermind, um, and you look at an album like Pearl Jam Ten, you know there were singles upon singles upon singles. And, and you know, getting back to I don't know if it was the record label or whoever, but th- this this is a song that could have been a hit, and you could you could have heard on the radio, and you could have gotten sick of it, or you could have loved it, but. This is this is hit type grunge right here. More great tones from the guitars. You know, the guitars just stand out here. It's just a great song. I definitely give this one a five. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny because when you look when you look at the lyrics, the song, the tone of the song and the chorus and everything, it's kind of like, oh, it's an upbeat song. Drugs. Right. But then you hear cry, <laughs> you know, cr- Good cry, drugs. cry. 
cry, cry, butterfly. I'm yeah. sick and I want to go home up to an empty room, four walls around, nothing to be found. You know, it, it's like he, it, he's kind of tricking you into you're listening to the song. But then when you listen to the words, you're like, wait a minute, this is not that upbeat of a song. He's kind of messing here with with my emotions as I hear the music and hear the words. I like when an artist does that, though. It yeah. kind of tries to to deliver. I mean, even you know, guys like Elton John and John Lennon were classic for you know just beautiful songs about very depressing shit or yep things. Of that Absolutely, um, agreed, agreed. This you know, a lot of grunge albums have kind of a wintry or a fall feel to them. I don't know if you, if you equate to music like that, but this might be the first grunge album that I actually felt like this actually is kind of a good summer record. Um, I crank this up and you backyard patio or while you're driving down the freeway or something just you know slamming beers down the the i-94 free turnpike or something but uh, anyway don't drink and drive kids <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh no but i agree with you i hear what, i hear what you're saying it's a, it's a kick-ass rock album yeah um but uh this one uh comes in a solid five for me did you Excellent. already rate it i did i gave it a five as well yep and side one closes out with For Celebrations Past. This is for footsteps approaching the night. They keep themselves moving and do what is right. Now watch what you gather and hold in your hand. Numbers are many misunderstand. This is a standout for me. Barrett Martin, again, just just killing it on his drums here. Um, great song. You know, when, when Mark is screaming, you know, must be a cry and shame. You know, that that's just such a great, um, yeah. a, another song with a great chorus in, in, in the tones of his voice and the ranges that he can get. Uh, you know, I'm not going to compare him to somebody like Cornell because Cornell's voice is completely different. But the range that Mark is hitting on these songs um you know, in the way he just wails away, you know, at the very end of the song, when he's saying, I believe in, I believe in, I believe in you must be a cry in shame. And he's just wailing. He's just pouring out his soul on the mm. song. And I think he does that with a lot. You know, another great line, you know, the numbers of many who misunderstand drink your wine away instead. I won't remember all that said. Say farewell and close the door. You'll find me never more. Ugh. And and then and then it just takes off. It's just a just a, a great song. Just very passionate s- singing and songwriting by by Mark. Well, before we get into side two, let me ask you this: you you clearly still go back to this record and you got into it, but this was your your gateway to Screaming Trees. Did you dive deep into their whole catalog? I, I have Dust. I have Uncle Anesthesia. Those albums are good. They're not Sweet Oblivion. What I did really enjoy was they did put out a compilation called uh, Oceans of Confusion, which is spectacular because it has a couple of unreleased songs on it. 
And for anybody out there that's interested in, in looking up Screaming Trees in their catalog, they have three unreleased songs that I think they only appear on this compilation. They are three of their best songs. Hmm. Like they could have easily been on Sweet Oblivion. Do they, do they un- say what era that, that was from or? I think they were written in that era because I think they wrote, if I recall correctly, I think they wrote a lot of songs during the Sweet Oblivion sessions. And I think those three songs that didn't make it, I think I, those, those songs I'm referring to, I think they're from that that session. Um, but if you're if you're interested in, in Screaming Trees and maybe you don't want to get Sweet Oblivion or maybe after hearing this episode, you'll fall in love with it. <laughs> but um, I would recommend Oceans of Confusion. Um, it encompasses their entire career as long as a handful of um, unreleased tracks, including three just standouts. There was a large gap from when this album came out. It was like a four years before the, the follow-up Dust came out. Do you know much about like what happened? Was there any type of uh, turmoil? I mean, Mark Lonigan has his own you know history with with drug abuse, like almost any uh, talented person from Seattle does. Was it that? Was it brothers fighting? I don't know. I, I think it was just. I think it was a combination of. I th- I think the one of the problems with the band on some of the things I read about was. Sweet Oblivion was their high point. And when you're riding the wave, you got to put another album out right away. Mm-hmm. You got to, ca- especially in this right. era. That's kind of where I'm going. I'm like, what happened? Right. And, they, and, and, and they didn't. And I don't, and that was a, I think that was a project, a product of Mark's issues. I think it was a product, a pro- product of songwriting, uh, record label issues. Um, because Dust is a great album. It's not as good as Sweet Oblivion to me, but you got to think if they put Dust, you know, because Pearl Jam 10 comes out in 91. And then two years later, they put out verses, right. and they, 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 you know, they they kept their fans, you know, li- with their music. If if Dust had that ability, maybe they could have stayed on that track. But I think those four years in between, because of the turmoil that they had, I think with Mark and with the record label, I think that just spelled unfortunately the end of them. Um, now there were there are songs that are that were released um, back in uh, I think it was two thousand eleven. And they were all these songs. It's actually called Last Words, The Final Recordings. And I believe this was put out by Barrett Martin, if I recall correctly. If I'm wrong on that, you can correct me. But it's a collection of songs that were written and recorded that were just never put out. A record label just never took them. It's kind of a weird a weird collection of songs. Um, it's not something that I listen to often, but again, if you're interested in jumping into their catalog, it's called Last Words, The Final Recordings, and it's a kind of a long collection of songs that just never made it onto a, a regular studio album. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had to kind of focus on on this record for the preparation of this, but I definitely yep. walked away with the idea, like, I'm going to be checking out more of their stuff because absolutely, uh, yep. Lonigan is just, I mean, he's just such a fun guy to listen to sing. And but the music, you know, this is a, this is a, a really good to great record. Um, I'll, I'll save further detail for my summary, but you know, so I haven't got there. It's really all I'm getting at. So I'll, I'll definitely be taking your advice and checking that stuff out uh, and the Barrett Martin record as well. But yep. um, what about did grunge kill hair metal? Where do you stand on that? Oh, I know this is a common question that people love to answer different ways. I don't think grunge kid killed hair metal. I think hair metal ki- killed hair metal. Um, I think, you know, around 90, 91, I think the oversaturation, I think, I think bands like pretty boy Floyd killed hair metal, you know, things like that. You know, you know, you had, you had Britney Fox, you had, you know, Vinnie Vincent invasion who I like some of Vinnie Vincent invasion. Yeah. I love all systems go. I love that. But I think it's just like, it's the same thing that kind hey, of Vinnie had imploded his career three years before grunge. 
That is true. That's true. Come on. But I, th- but I think, <laughs> but I think it's the same thing that that when if you want to say what killed grunge, it was the it, it's the flavor of the month. So mm-hmm. you have this this just saturation of band trying to do the same thing, and it comes off fake and phony and contrived, and it's not real, and people can see through that, and they don't want to listen to it. You know, then you got a, then you get you get a band like Tesla, one of my all time favorites. It pisses me off that they're thrown into that hair metal genre, but whatever, so be it. Mm-hmm. But you got bands like that that were putting out great. Re- they're still putting out great records now in 2019, 2020. So, if, but they if they kind of survived during that period. They they did. I mean, they uh, did. But I think Acoustical but I Jam think, was their biggest record, and that was right at the height of all this. And I, I think the reason they survived is because they were writing quality songs with quality musicians with a quality vocalist. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't have them trying to pretend to be something like a lot of these other bands. And I think that's what killed grunge. If you want to say what killed grunge, you had all these post grunge bands that came out. They were trying to sound like Eddie Vedder. They were trying to sound like, you know, Kurt Cobain. Uh, but getting back to your original question, did, did, did grunge kill hair metal? No, I think it was just a confluence of things. You had the use your illusion albums. You had the black album. You had a bunch of different things going on, and I think people were mm-hmm. just kind of exhausted with hair metal and ready to try something new. I don't really think they. I think hair metal just kind of played itself out. Yeah, I think I think thematically, hair metal ran out of lyrical content. You know what I mean? It was just um, where the bands you mentioned, you know, GNR, Metallica, you know, before grunge broke, they were starting to to, to rise up. Tesla, they were writing about things that that I think were more relatable. Um, as much as people like to to disappear into music and think you know and 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 think about what how great it would be to to be riding a harley down sunset strip with you know two strippers you know all coked up and (laughs) giving you a blow job it's just not not a real scenario you know and so uh, i think that's a big part of it too we actually one of our earlier episodes we got into this this topic on kind of a side part and (laughs) much like you did i i answered loose i was like i'll tell you what killed grunge and then i listed off about 10 bands like like Pretty Boy Floyd, Firehouse, yep. all this, like, just like yep. tough, you know, all these bands. That's what fucking killed tough. it. Grunge did God. the classic movie mistake. They walked into a room where a dead body was and they picked up the gun. <laughs> and so their fingerprints were on it. That is a perfect analogy. I've never heard that. <laughs> That's true. Their fingerprints were on the murder weapon, but they didn't do they didn't pull the trigger. It's true. That's excellent. No, you're right. I, uh, I agree. I agree. Good one. All right. Um <laughs> <laughs> well, side two <laughs> kicks off with uh, Secret Kind. skillful songwriting again at this point i'm starting to realize that i missed out on the re- this record kind of back in the day for whatever reason this was right up my alley this would have been played while i was you know getting you know drunk with friends playing nintendo non-stop this would have been in there with all, that whole collection of records i was playing uh but no hidden message on this one uh the- oh yeah no no yeah no, no hidden message <laughs> and one thing that i noticed uh, that, that started hitting me you know now that i'm literally focusing on these records 
a lot of grunge bands do like a, a bit of a bass breakdown where they let the guitar either just kind of ring out or and and hair metal bands never really did that they always kind of keep things a little tighter also the compression is off the guitars and that kind of stuff which to me gives a more organic sound but this song has just that little bit behind that and then i mean an actual killer solo too on this tune i totally agree with what you just said on that especially that part where they let the guitar ring out mm-hmm. and i have written down here that that bass line yeah. as that guitar as that guitar tone is ringing out and that bass line is just grooving um but this right here i also have written down another barrett martin drum clinic he is just going to town and 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 i said it before it's not overbearing it's not distracting it fits it fits the song and and i think that's and i think that's interesting because you hear a lot of people talk about you know i mean i love eric carr but you've heard some you hear people criticizing eric carr's technique because people say oh there's a like a drum fill that he never that he'd never loved that he never didn't like you know that he 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 just couldn't Hmm. stand to not do a drum fill here or there but i think barrett martin is just so skillful with the way he does his fills and that in that that bass drum and this song right here is just spectacular. Catchy chorus, another song that could have been a hit. Um, and, and and the and the guitars are just off the charts. This is a definitely a five a five for me. More five more more five uh, sleeveless shirts for me. <laughs> <laughs> Klaus is getting full. Um, yeah, I got I got four sleeveless flannels on this. Um, so if, again, yeah, we're kind of in the same ballpark. I'm just a hair less of a fan, it turns out. And to the Eric Carr thing, people seem to have forgotten him because he's been out of the band so long, you, you know, with his with his passing. But Eric Singer just isn't in the same league as him. Eric Singer is a studio musician. He is, and he's fucking very good. Don't get me wrong. That's not a shot at him. It's more of a compliment to Eric Carr. And also, one thing that that the Barrett Martin and drummers like him, they do all this stuff without having that ginormous Neil Peart kit. You know what I mean? Like Eric Carr did. You know what I mean? He, he, I mean, if I were, he's got a fairly toned down five or seven piece kit somewhere in that area, if I recall, but, uh, I haven't actually dug it up, but yeah, he does a fabulous job on mad season as well. And it's a very different style of music. So that the, it required something different, but the fact that he was able to fit that perfectly, you know, it just shows you a little bit of his talent. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And he's a total yeah. ass for not wanting to come on the show. Fuck you. <laughs> I know we're praising him right now. We have to edit this now. But <laughs> he's listening right. to this, and, and just before that line, he's like, "I'm gonna get back to the oh that mother fuck him." <laughs> yep. Uh, won't be the first time I sabotaged myself, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and a great uh, second side opener too. Absolutely. Oh God, yeah, perfect, perfect opener. And like I said, this is a great summer album. No summer album is complete without a song called Winter Song. Jesus knocking. On my door Late last night Early this morning Window glass Rusted and weary I went straight through Didn't hear no warning Just a roll of the Seven precious flies Bring you around It's easier When I'm wasting my time When I'm losing my mind
So this song right here, um, we've talked about a lot of songs that I love. Um, this song, without a doubt, is the best song on the album. If mm. I could give it the highest rating, a six, a seven, or a ten, I, I would, I would, I would do that. Tom, um, I'm giving you the freedom. Do what you well, want. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it a ten. I'm going to because this song, the chorus. It, it, it's the, the the thing that stands out about this song is that we've gone through all these other songs where the guitars are ringing and, and wailing, the drums are going crazy, everything's happening. Then you get this song, and it's just a simple beat, a simple guitar mm-hmm. tone. Mark's voice just carrying you, taking you on this little journey throughout this song. There's nothing overpowering about the song at all at any time. Way back when, in the early days of Napster and LimeWire, back in the good old days when you could steal music, right? I found an acoustic version of this song, and it was just mind blowing. I mean, as great as this, this, this—I don't even know where that came from because I can't find it. I tried to find it for this, like I still oh. can't even find it. Um, but it was funny because this song, Mark Lanigan's voice gives me goosebumps pretty much throughout this entire album. <laughs> but when he, when he, when he comes across with that line, "Whisper some winter in your heart," it's just—I don't know—it's—it's it's the combination of the words and the way he says it. Um, he's letting his voice just do all the work throughout the song. And it was funny because I read an article uh, about the, this album and the person that was talking about this album, they said that if Nirvana did this song, if Kurt Cobain was singing this song and Nirvana did a song, it probably would have been the biggest grunge hit in the world. He said it, it, it's anthemic. The song is so good that he couldn't believe that it had never been written before by anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that's kind of why I love this album too, is that, it's almost like the little album that could or couldn't, unfortunately. It's such a great album, and you know that's why I wanted to jump on the show with you because I love talking about albums that I love that just don't get their fair shake. You know, So I'm hoping that after people listen to this episode, people will like what they heard and pick it up and get into the screaming trees. And um, this is one of those songs, I think, that kind of sells the album and just really puts it in its place. I agreed 100%. And it's a love song too, right? It is. It yeah. is. and it's and it, But it's... Mark pulls it off. Melancholy. It, it is. It's a painful song. You know, it's, uh, you know, just a roll of the dice and a precious vice bring you around. It's easier when I'm wasting my time and I'm losing my mind, hmm. you know, and then I like, I like this line too. dead end street, just out my back door. I heard what's seen a young girl laughing. You know, he just just the way he the in his voice. Oh, I just love it. He's he's just terrific. Um, you gave it ten. Um, although I'm going to uh, try to find that acoustic track myself now. I would be interested to hear that. I, I like it. I think it's a really good song. But I gave it uh, three and a half. Rip uh, sleeveless flannels. So okay, okay. <laughs> uh, well, the next track, troubled times. A little more of my cup of tea.
I was worried this was just going to be a song, you know, like when it when it starts off, that it was just going to be one of those songs that ends up being nine minutes long, and it's just this unnecessary, lazy, jammy thing. But didn't even get a minute into it before the, the, the fucker kicks in, and boy, what a killer track. Totally agree, and I think that that's the thing that makes this song stand out, is mm-hmm. uh, it tricks you in the beginning. It sounds like it's going to be this kind of like, you know, moody and it is moody, but it's kind of moody, slow, kind of epic type of song. And then all of a sudden, you get that little that little second pause, and then yeah. the drums kick, and then the drums kick in, and then you're like, "Wait a minute, what's going on here?" And the song just takes off, um, and the chorus just Mark's voice yeah. just soars, you know, when he's singing, you know, troubled times. Um, this is an album throughout a lot of these songs, and I've mentioned this before. It's an album that when you're listening to the music and and Mark's singing in the lyrics, you can feel the album. You know, th- th- this 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 is not a kiss album. Woman! This is not you know. This is this is not you know. Put your hand in my pocket and grab onto my rocket. You know that th- that's that. There's none of that going on here. Yeah, but um, that that record you can play at home and feel it in a different way. Good point. <laughs> that that is true. <laughs> that is true. Um, but I love how there's a little bit of a breakdown near the end of the song. Picks up and then it slows back down. So the song starts and ends the same way. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like how I like how it has that intro and that outro, and then in between. You kind of have that that song that really, really kind of kicks you in the teeth. What do you give it? Oh, I give it a five. Okay, uh, it's, it's four for me. Uh, okay. Up next at track ten is uh, "No One Knows." song but you can kind of feel the record starting to wrap up here absolutely i agree yep um i put no one knows trouble times in more or less kind of in that same group more or less is not as good as trouble times and no one knows this is a song that i i really i like the background vocals on this i think the background vocals are kind of not really noticeable too much throughout the album i think they're noticeable and i think they're good in this one and i think on a song like this we've talked about it before i think when mark is singing i think he's sharing a lot of his pain mm. and i think that when he's sharing his pain i think it's different from when you listen to when you listen to like dirt by alice in chains lane staley is just telling you how much pain he is in and he doesn't really care what you think about it it's almost like mark is sharing his pain and he wants you to know that he's in pain and maybe you know it, it's like he it, it's a different kind of emotion that he conveys and i don't know if that's his voice or the lyrics but you know the same thing with chris cornell you know all these guys they sing they sing about pain and their voices carry that but i think this this album in his vocals 
it's it's pain, but it's not like hopeless pain, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like dirt to me, I've hopeless. said this to Zeus. Do at the end of dirt, you may find yourself addicted to heroin yourself when you're done <laughs> listening to that album. I mean, it's a it's a spectacular oh God, album. I mean, it's a spectacular album, but you're you're not like this album you might put on at a party. You're not putting dirt on at a party. <laughs> no. But I, lo- I I like this song. I'm, I'm going to give this one a four. This is another four for me. Excuse me. This is a forgettable tune. I'm even trying to remember it in my head. Um, okay. But it, it, I, I wrote down, I gave it a three, so I like it a little bit better than the, that one song I gave two and a half. But, um, um, are, you know, back to the, the Lane Staley thing. How, how Are you familiar with the Mad Season record as far as uh, the, the lyrics and stuff of that? I am. Yeah. Okay. That's so a, that's, very much great, the same thing with, with, with Dirt. It, and we talk about it in the episode, uh, Aaron and I do, but like how self-aware, like this guy is, you know, cause it's when you're doing one of the biggest things with addiction is denial. I mean, this guy just never had it. You know what I never. mean? He was like, he's never. just like, no, nah, I'm a fucking junkie. Don't listen to me. Cause I'm going to lie. Um, yep. and, and the fact, and I'm probably going to be dead. Um, and even then Jerry Cantrell's solo record, Degradation Trip, it's almost, I thought it was about Lane, um, until we got into that record, but it's almost, it's like Dirt Part 2. Yep, where it really just, is. It's just fucking dark, and, and, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm a loser on drugs all the time, you know, and it's weird that they can be so painstakingly honest and also be unwill, unable to correct any of this obviously bad behavior that they're acknowledging is going to kill them, you know, like the, the will to live. Um, didn't surpass the addiction, you know what I mean, and and that just says a lot about the problems with addiction. But it's true when you talk about dirt, and that that's kind of kind of like almost in a different way of what I was saying was that you know Lane Staley, he's he's telling you like mm-hmm. I, I'm in I'm in pain, I, I'm in, but he he doesn't care really what you think. He's just telling you because you know, yep, this is me. I'm I'm, I'm an addict. Right. I'm a, I'm a junkie. There's nothing I can do about. It. There's nothing you can do about it. But you know, maybe you like these songs that I'm singing to you about it. <laughs> And the you know? lyrics on this record have that similar tone and delivery, but like you you mentioned, there is more of a hopefulness. There really is in what Mark Lonigan sings. As dark as some of this shit is, yep, you, you kind of come with with the idea that like you know there's a there's a chance he's going to crawl out of this. You know what I mean? Yep, that, agreed. Uh, well, the record closes with Julie's Paradise. Sugar sweet, I need some machine. Says I'm on my mind. Songs are all inside. I'm thinking paradise. All that I want, and a little water, and a little water. Oh, 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 
we talked about Shadow of the Season being a great opener. What a spectacular closer of, of a song here. Um, I've talked about it throughout the entire album here, and I'm going to say it again because the last song, Barrett is an absolute monster on this song. I mean, there, there are so many times where I will just find myself playing like air drums just to this without even rec- without even realizing I'm doing it. It's just an epic song. Mark takes it off and and Barrett just is going crazy. I just I think it's a great ending and I read a, a I read a great quote when I was do, looking up uh, looking up some research for this album and they said that the finale sounds like it's a band that has given everything throughout the entire album and is de- is finished lying in a heap of their own emotion. Oh boy. And I think that is like so such a great way to say it because the way the song ends it's like they just it's just it's the last song we got nothing left here it is i wrote down that's a good closer to a great album i i'm good to great i think i have to spend more time with it to but to to give it that official baco stamp of greatness but uh yep. i have this at four and a half sleeveless flannels where did you go i gave this probably a five and a half to a six um i, I think the song is great because it's the last song and it's almost like you you've been on this entire emotional journey with with the band through this entire album mm-hmm. the ups and downs the sadness the pain and it's like it's all over it's almost like if you ever see like in a movie you know or or when somebody is like bawling their eyes out and and when they're done they just they just exhaust they got nothing left it's almost like that's what this song is you just kind of ending it and say we got nothing left here you go and that vinyl you bought is that a, a recent like a reissue pressing uh, it came out in 2015 yep, mm-hmm. yep. sound good and, uh, it sounds amazing. Oh God, it sounds great. And the liner notes, it's got this, it's got a gigantic essay written by Barrett Martin, um, from 2015. And if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to read a, a little section here. Um, since we re- since we reached the last track, absolutely. Um, ba- Barrett kind of wraps it up and he says, when I listen to sweet oblivion today, I hear the rise and fall of the tempos the ferociousness of the musical delivery and the emotional tension and release of the songs. Mark's vocals, vocal howl and roar with the wisdom of a man much older than the 20 something he was. (laughs) He tells stories that are both majestic and spiritual as well as haunting and ephemeral. Gary Lee's guitar work is highly original and inspired, even brilliant in places and the rhythm section work of Van Connor's bass and my drumming makes the band swing like a battleship (laughs) on the high seas. I would have loved it if if we, if he we went through all that and then just ended and Van Connor played bass. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but just, just I love just poking great, fun at bassists and drummers, but just a great description because it's kind of like what we yeah, talked about the, the the ups the highs and lows and the emotions of the album. Um, it's just, and to it, me, it, the sequencing, you know, when you have this level of material, is very key to to kind of even though it's not a concept album, you need to kind of like track this properly and uh and you were saying that uh track six was actually listed as a bonus track on the uh on the vinyl and the cd it is because when i was reading when i was doing some work on this people kept referring to um for celebrations past as a bonus track and i was like well right in the the middle right the right usually bonus tracks obviously at the end and i looked at my cd and i looked at the vinyl and they they both have a little asterisk and they say bonus track. And I said, well, w- when did this not like because every right. copy of every version of this album I have has for celebrations past. And thank God they do have it because it's a standout track for me. But I thought that was interesting. And you're right. It's in the middle of the album, not at the end. 
I don't remember that specifically, but there's so many examples of it's like where you would see an album released in the late 80s, early 90s, where they would say bonus track, but it would be on every version of the, the release. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think even that with the Skid Row one comes to mind, isn't that Midnight Tornado listed as a bonus track? I can't remember for sure, but the last track on their debut album, I swear to God, was listed as a bonus. But Yeah. Um, well, uh, I like to give the uh, the final thoughts to the the last word on the album uh, to the to the guests. So I'll share mine real quick. One, this is definitely going to end up in my physical collection at some point. I do enough used CD shop, and then I'm going to stumble across this fucker, and it'll go. And I'm actually in thinking about getting the vinyl now that you were flashing it around and and being all cocky with it in front of me. Now I uh, <laughs> I have FOMO, so I have to I have to go on Amazon right after we talk here and order it right away. I'm yep. probably going to get two copies just to outdo you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know if you knew this, but Mark just released a solo album. Um, yes, Mark Lanigan. Yeah, he has a so he has a, a solo career. I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, but uh, it's, we we can touch on that in a minute. But uh, as far as this album. I think there's enough good to great material on on here that this should be revered more. I now get why it's on this list, and I've I've talked on this a, a lot, um, and we'll get to your your rankings here in, in just a minute after you, after you talk on this. Um, but I think for you know a lot of these lists, they're very clickbaity and they throw in shit. Like I saw one, I saw a Motley Crue record list that somebody shared today, ranking all their albums, and they had Girls, Girls, Girls at number two, which to me is just a total troll thing. It's like, come on. This list, even though some of the stuff I don't personally like, like I don't like Nevermind. I will never go back and listen to it, but I know why it's number one. Um, well, to, to have to have never, I don't mean, I don't mean to cut you off, yeah, but, that's right. but, but, but to have Nevermind number one on a grunge list, it, it's the equivalent of having, you know, Rolling Stone rank the Kiss albums and putting Destroyer number one. Right. It, it, it's, it's just, it's just basic, exactly. like, oh, it had. You know, it's just basic. But I mean, I like Nevermind, but I don't have. I mean, I have it ranked fairly high, but I don't. I, I would. I don't have it number one. Why don't you give me your final thoughts on this album as a whole? Touch on anything that you, we didn't cover. Anything you wanted to get into? It's just as you can tell, my passion throughout this episode. I've been pouring over this album because I. I, I don't have a chance to talk about this album because no one has it. Uh, you know, as the song title says, no one knows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thrilled to see it on this Rolling Stone list. Um, Rolling Stone is usually complete shit. <laughs> coming from a coming from a Kiss fan, you can see why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to see it rank seventeenth, uh, I, I was very very impressed and happy with that. Um, you know, I like rooting for albums that I love, and to see it seventeen was good. Um, it's just a very important album to me. It's an album that I consistently listen to. Um, you know, my wife hears me playing it so much in college and, and now that she's a big fan of a lot of the songs, you know, she loves Butterfly and Nearly Lost You and, you know, just great songs. I know Zeus is a fan, not as big as me. Um, my college roommate loves this. You know, it's 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 a great album. Um, and I think more people need to give the Screaming Trees a shot. They just had a, a very muddled career and uh, they could have been they could have been huge and they just weren't. And it's just too bad. Yeah, I mean, they had some image issues without poking fun at them. You know what I mean? Uh, oh, it, it, you know, kind of hard to sell. Even though, even with grunge, which was basically no image, it was uh, it was tough. But now, are you out of the Boston area like Zeus is? I grew up. Me and him grew up uh, next towns next to each other. Do yep. me do me a favor. Say where can I park my car? I am not saying that because <laughs> that is nobody <laughs> says that. And here's another thing it's, too. And here's another thing too. Nobody calls Boston 
Bean Town. The only people that do that are the oh, people that are not from there. Tell it to the Wahlbergs, asshole. That's where oh, I fucking heard it from. Fuck those guys. Yeah, like, yeah, those I'm guys are fucking clowns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the right. way, it's by well, the way, it's funny. It, it's funny. You're from Minnesota. Don't this, you know? This might this might be weird. Huge lifelong Vikings fan. Really? Yes. I have no I'm, idea. I'm a diehard Patriots fan, but the Vikings have always been my second team. And I think one of the most devastating losses in my entire life was that 98 NFC championship Ugh. game with Gary motherfucking Anderson. He made every field goal and every extra <laughs> point all year and misses yeah. that field goal. They would have crewed that best team to never win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I, uh, you don't have to tell me I was at that game. Um, oh, and Brutal. my seats were um, kind of like uh, corner end zone, and it was that end zone. And and I'm on the opposite side of what it that it missed, so it kind of looked like it went in. And yep. there was like this two or three <laughs> seconds where the crowd didn't know. Like I think we just won, and then uh, fuck, well, although that went to ice the game, but it would have put it pretty much out of reach for Atlanta. I think we would have gone up by ten instead yeah. of they were able to tie it with us missing the field goal. Yeah, what a fucking crusher. Brutal, uh, brutal. man. Uh, but, you know, that's what sports is all about, I guess. Uh, and I guess. Uh, apparently I'm a glutton for punishment being that they're, they're my team. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, no, okay. that, that, that's interesting to know, man. Um, yep. I, I will have to, I'll have to start texting you during football games. Uh, um, I, I do like to talk a lot of shit, but I really like to talk about the game. But uh, so. Excellent, excellent. I'm a I, I'm not a patriot hater like a lot of people. I I do get sick of one team being good all the time, but uh, the combination though, even though like there's some shady shit going on, I, I it's it's more along the lines of like like if you found out a college you hate paid a player, well, it, so did your team. Okay, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I I think the things that they're guilty of, they might have just been a little more effective at it than other people. Um, I don't get the, the, the honestly the ball deflating thing. I I I don't even understand what why we talked about it. But it was Brady because it was Brady. Brady and Belichick. I I I just like the way they've they've kind of handled themselves. But I'm unless it's I've never experienced this, so maybe I would feel differently. But I got to believe that unless it's the Minnesota Vikings, I don't really want to see one team all the time. I just I I hate I hate the, the but the weird thing is that like I hate the fucking Lakers. I hate yep. the Yankees. And I hate the Cowboys. And the Cowboys have sucked for about 20 years, but I still ain't letting that go. Yep. Um, but uh, for whatever reason, I just never got – the Patriots are more like the Bulls to me. I never really got angry with the Bulls. I was just like, when you got that one guy who kind of leads everything, and it's just hard hard to really kind of blame him for just being better than everybody else with Jordan and then with Brady. But uh, um, you know, now that we've pissed people off talking about sports, but uh. – <laughs> That they can deal with it. Yeah, fuck them. Uh, anyway, welcome <laughs> back to the Grunge Show. The Rolling Stone put it at 17. I only moved it up two spots. I have it at 15. Now, typically I ask, but you sent me your list, and you kind of have a log jam here. You've got three records tied for the number one spot, this being one of them. Yeah, so I have three records that are very important to me. Um, it's this, Pearl Jam 10, and the single soundtrack. Single soundtrack, I'll, I'll bounce that out just because it's got a couple songs that I'm not a huge fan. <clears throat> I don't need that Jimi Hendrix song on there. Mm. You know, so that, that's, You're going to like my take on that when that episode comes out then. It's not. It's not that it's a bad song. It's just that I don't need no, it. On I go soundtrack. a different direction. It is a bad song. That song. Fucking yeah. Sucks. Okay. Fuck Hendrix. Um, but for me, <laughs> I, I, I this and Pearl Jam Ten are going to be tied for me. If you put a gun to my head, mm. I would probably put Pearl Jam Ten number one. But but that would be by like the slightest fraction of a hair. 
Um, but th- those right there for me are, are one and two, no doubt. One A, one 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 B, however you want to say it. Well, once again, Tom, thanks you for uh, coming on. Um, but I still don't know where I can park my car in Boston. I'm a little upset with that. <laughs> Uh, apparently there, there's no parking. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. How come, uh, you, you guys all hire Midwesterners to be your news anchors? <laughs> I don't watch the news at uh, all. Local, <laughs> local, national or cable. So don't talk to me about that. The Shout It Out Loud cast, uh, can be found your weekly. Um, and you have a special side episodes coming up. Way too much poony, by the way. He, he's, he's a nice guy. He's, he's a friend. We like him. And, uh, he's one of the few people that You're will tolerate. He, he's he's one of the few people that will tolerate me and Zeus for extended periods of time, so that's why we have him on repeatedly. Um, mm. I would love to know what he's saying behind our backs, mm. um, but you know when when he's in front of us and on the mic, he he's a great guy and he he adds a lot to the shows. Mm. But uh, you know the, his last name helps too. <laughs> no, I, I fucking love Sonny. He's uh, <laughs> literally one of the kindest people I've ever met. And well, he, until you start talking about his children, and then he's like kind of a dick dad, like won't <laughs> let him have pets. You know, you're not getting a dog. Fuck you. Get up and grow up. Get your own damn house. Oh, and he can be sneaky and pretty slippery, too. Don't let him fool you if you don't know that about him already. Nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. No, he's been nothing but gracious with us. Uh, Oh, he's uh, great. Yeah, yeah, he's... And he's just... uh, well, have you met him uh, in person? Okay. No, nope. everything mean, is everything is over Skype with him. That booming smile of his, literally, like you you walk into a room and you know right away where he's at. Well, first of all, he's a giant. Um, yep. And but yeah, he uh, he's just a good guy. I love poking fun at him though. Um, but uh, yeah, so thank you very much, Tom. Uh, Sweet Oblivion. I give it uh, very highly recommend anybody that hasn't checked it out. Check it out. I'm going to dig into more of the Screaming Trees stuff just because of the, the time I spent with this record. But um, thank you very much for agreeing to do this. You, you filled in a lot of the holes I didn't know. And, and of course, your relationship to the record, I think uh, listeners will uh, will probably relate to, especially people who are fans of this album. Thank you so much for having me, Baco. Great show. I love that you're doing this series. I, I look forward to these episodes. Like I said, grunge is just... Uh special to me i still listen to it now and it brings back memories it's a very nostalgic genre of music Um, and being able to talk about this album top to bottom inside and out uh was just great for me because probably not going to have another outlet to do it so i'm glad i could contribute to uh your project here and uh, i I was happy to to talk about one of my all-time favorite albums and once again check out the shout out loud cast even if you don't like kiss you'll enjoy this show (laughs) yes please do you do not have to like kiss to like us you might hate us but Whatever. You'll find out, but just check us out. <laughs> well, I guess with that, let's uh let's just get out of here, man. Whatever. Alright, never mind.
fucking went off on me. Ah, fuck. Uh, <laughs> that's Zeus. Yep, yeah, that's uh, him. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.